going to read together from the book of Psalms. Our verse is taken from Psalm 18, and so we're going to read part of this, the first 31 verses. Psalm 18. And what I suggest we do um, is, if you are following in your Bibles, or you actually have one of these, we'll read the first two verses together, then I'll read the rest of the psalm. This is going to be our verse for the year. May it be a source of challenge and uh, incentive for us to trust God more, whatever the prevailing circumstances in which we find ourselves. So, we'll read the first two verses, then I will continue. Let's begin. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. And the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his his arrows and scattered the enemies, great bolts of lightning, and routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils, He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my distress, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has delighted with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me 
for I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have turned away from his decrees. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God beside the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? Well, we are looking this morning at the verse for the year and these cards are available if you'd like to take them with you or even the, uh, the pocket-sized, uh, wallet-sized versions as well where it's good to refer to. And of course, the verse starts with three words. I love you. Three simple words. I wonder how often you may say them, maybe to your husband or wife, to your children, what you mean when you say them. I guess you probably say those words more often to them than you may say them to God. To be honest, when I first look at the verse for the year, my eyes skipped over those first few words onto the uh, more manly words of strength and rock and fortress. But if you read this psalm out loud, you can't get away from this clear expression of love for the Lord. And as I started to reflect on how often in the Bible do those words occur? How often does a biblical writer, not just a psalmist, but any biblical writer, say to God, I love you, O Lord. And I'm not sure there are many others at all. Now you may correct me then and tell me afterwards if uh, you do know many others. Don't start looking for them now. I mean, there are lots of references, obviously, of God's love towards us, aren't there? There are lots of references to us maybe trusting in God, which, of course, is an expression of love. In Psalm 119, there are expressions of our love for God's laws and decrees, again, which is an indirect way of expressing love <laughs> for God. There are references to love for other Christians. Paul is... Uh, very um, expressive in his love for other believers in his letters to the different churches. But I don't think there's anywhere where there's such a clear expression as in the psalm with those words, I love you, O Lord. Which is quite surprising when you think of the, the command, the clear biblical command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. When Jesus speaking to Peter after he denied him three times, said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Well, this psalm is a love song. 
It's a love song. It's a very different love song, maybe from the Song of Songs, <coughs> which is also a love song. There there's a description of trees and flowers and vineyards, a lovely face, a sweet voice. Here we have smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth. So what is it about God that David, who is the author of this psalm, loves? Well, key, I think, to understanding is the beheading. Have a look at the heading of this psalm 18. Because this comes from his personal experience of God. It says there, for the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang the song to the Lord, the words of this song, when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. David has come to know God in a very intimate way because he's known his help, he's known his presence in times of crisis, in times of danger. And there are three main things I'd like to bring out this morning that David has experienced, which he expresses uh, in his love for God in these verses, the verse for for the year. The first way he addresses God is my strength. I love you, O Lord, my strength. I don't know if you've ever looked around you and thought, um, looking at other people, just how well they've got it together how confident they are, how well they present themselves, how well they speak, how they manage to remain unflustered. And then you think of yourself as as weak or inadequate. It's interesting as you get to know people that even the most apparently confident and strong characters are deep down insecure. I think that's why probably reality TV shows are so popular because people want to see the secure insecurity underneath that secure front. They want to know that those successful actors and musicians and, and politicians deep down are no different from they are. That's why chat shows that, uh, have always been popular because you want to get to know the real person with all their weaknesses. And Piers Morgan is very good at um, interviewing people and getting them to express their vulnerability, their weakness, and often breaking them into to tears. Because deep down, as humans, we are all the same. We all need strength to cope with the trials of life. And if things are fine for you now, they won't always be. (coughs) And we can put on a brave face, like many in this world do, and say, well, I can cope with this. Or we can say, Lord, I need your help and your strength. Well, what is the strength that God gave David? Well, it's really the strength to, to persevere, to keep going. David had, if you recall the story, being anointed God's king by Samuel. But at that time, Saul was still king, and Saul was relentlessly pursuing David to, to kill him. And David knew he couldn't take Saul's life himself until God had uh, removed that kingship from him. It was in God's hands. And so he had to live with this terrible tension, knowing God had made him the future king, trusting in that promise, and yet knowing Saul was out to kill him. David, in those times, in those times of release, has experienced God's strength. He's been able to to carry on, despite the, the fear. And in this psalm, David describes God's strength in terms of his his power, his, his, 
It's a cosmic power we see here. It's not an impotent God. This is a God who made the universe. This is a God who's still in control of the universe. It says there in verse 14, he shot his arrows, he scattered enemies, great bolts of lightning, and routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, the foundations of the earth lay bare. If we are Christians here this morning, we are also vulnerable to thinking either that God is not there, so I will have to do this myself, I will have to cope with it, or as the world would have us believe that, that man is in control, we don't need God. But look at the world around you that God has created. We'll see that he's far stronger and more powerful than any human power. I don't know if you've seen the film um, which I watched the other day, The Iron Lady, about uh, Margaret Thatcher. It's had some interesting reviews. And it's a, quite a fascinating film because it brings together the young, ambitious woman who became Prime Minister of this country, a very forceful, determined woman, nicknamed the Iron Lady, um, and an old lady of today who is um, fragile, suffering from dementia. And it shows that human power comes and goes. And the only one who has eternal power is the Sovereign Lord. And we need to call on his strength to keep going when times for us are tough. And the amazing thing about this cosmic, all-powerful God is that he's also a very personal God who's interested in each one of us. Which is why David also calls him here my deliverer. I mentioned the heading of the psalm where it says that uh, David sang to the Lord the words of this song and the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And the, the psalm continues in verse 2, the Lord is my deliverer. He is the horn of my salvation. I call to the Lord and I am saved from my enemies. If you're in a desperate situation and somebody rescues you, you never feel a sense of gratitude towards them. You feel affection for them, for what they've done for you. And the strength of that love and affection often depends on two things. The depth of your despair, the crisis you were in, and the response to your call for help. Look here how Dave describes just how desperate he was in verse 4. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. These are vivid images, aren't they? You know the feeling when you get the box of Christmas lights down from the loft at Christmas and you find this tangled mess you have to untangle. Or you want to go and fly a kite with your kids, you get the, fire, the kite out of the box and it's a mess because it's all tangled up. But when you find yourself that you are entangled in something, so that you can't free yourself, it feels like you're being wrapped around. That is a horrible feeling, isn't it? For the, the cause of death is a desperate situation. The language in these verses is about helplessness. It's about an impossibility to break free without somebody coming to rescue you. And it's in desperation that David calls out to the Lord in verse 6, it says, In my distress, 
I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The thing is, until we get to that point and say, I am helpless, we won't know what it means to be saved. Until we get to the point where we say, I cannot do this on my own, I am powerless, we will not know God's salvation. As humans, from the day we are born, our lives are leading to the point when we will one day die. And each day we get further entangled in the cords of death. And we can take out our knife and cut a few cords free and pretend that we are still free to do what we want. But we cannot avoid death. And we can therefore either try and deny it, pretend that it doesn't matter what happens after death, We can live in fear of it or we can embrace it knowing that death has been defeated and there's something much better to look forward to after death. Lionel chose the latter. He never knew that his life would be cut short so suddenly but as Christians we know that God may call us home at any point and we are ready for that moment and we look forward to that moment because that is what our lives are leading to. That is what we live for. Now, that is not to diminish the importance of our relationships in this life. In fact, it should be an incentive to value them even more because we don't know how long we will be with those people. And we want to help each other be prepared for that day. We want to, to let others who, are not, who don't know that hope to make them clear that that hope is for them as well. The strength of our love for someone who rescues us depends on the depth of our despair. It also depends on the response to our call for help. Think of the types of response you might get to a distress call. There was a great um, uh, language school advert, I don't know if you saw it um, a couple of years ago, where a German coast guard receives this mayday call from a British ship. And you hear the voice of the British captain going, Mayday, mayday, we are thinking. There's a pause, and then the German Coast Guard replies, Can you tell me please, what are you thinking? <laughs> I don't think we'd want that sort of response to a distress call, would we, with a language um, misunderstanding. And then there's the, well, I'll see what I can do, but to be honest, I don't really think there's much hope. can't really help you. Or there's actually, well, you've only really got yourself to blame. You've got yourself in this mess and you're on your own now. But how does God respond to our distress call? The first reaction here we see is anger. It says the earth trembled in verse 7. It quaked. The foundations of the mountain shook. They trembled because he was angry. Why is he angry? Because someone he loves is in danger. And it conveys the depth of God's feeling for his people when they are threatened by enemies. And it's not just his feelings that are described here, but the fact that God does something about it. It says he parted the heavens and came down. God didn't sit idly by. He came to the rescue of his people and he did it in dramatic fashion. Now, before we get too carried away, we must remember that this is poetry. Words that that stir the, the emotions. It's not narrative. God didn't literally soar on the wings of the wind. And actually when we read of the times when David uh, was rescued from Saul, often it's quite 
quite matter of fact. For example, remember the situation in um, 1 Samuel 23 where Saul is pursuing David and his men and you've got David going one side of the mountain, you've got um, Saul coming around the other side and we're told that Saul and his forces were closing on on David and about to, to defeat them. And then what happens? A messenger came to Saul saying, come quickly, the Philistines are raiding. So Saul breaks off his pursuit of David and returns for another battle. This simple intervention by God. And so this, this psalm expresses the intensity of God's feeling towards his people, even if he chooses simple ways to rescue them. But having conveyed the intensity of his feeling, there is a change uh, in tone in verse 16 where it becomes very personal. We've had this cosmic uh, God, this universal God, the sovereign God, and then it says in verse 16, God reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. These are amazing verses, aren't they? Here's the God of the universe. He can control the elements, the one at whose voice the earth trembles, and yet he is interested in me. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. It's not surprising that David can say, I love you, O Lord. Why did he rescue me? Because he delighted in me. And that is an incredible statement that God delights in me. And you ask yourself, well, what can I do to make God delight in me? You know, what do I need to do to make him love me? It's a question that everybody <coughs> struggles with, isn't it? How do you earn the love of that person you so want to love you? And when you read the next few verses, it appears to say that because God has kept his ways, he's led a perfect life. But we need to be careful here. It's not that God led such a good life that God was delighted in him. After all, he was far from perfect. He committed adultery, he committed murder. But David was dependent on God. He knew the error of his ways and he came to him. And verse 27 is the key verse there. Turn over the page. You save the humble but bring low those whose eyes are haughty or proud. God went to God in humility and repentance and was saved by him. The key to being humble is to call out to God for help. It is saying, I need you, God. I cannot do this myself. I admit my failings. I know above all I need your forgiveness. I need to be reminded of your love. I need your strength every day of my life to live a life that is pleasing to you. And as we go into 2013, we have to ask ourselves as a church, are we going to do this regularly through 2013? Are we going to fall on our feet before God and say, we can't do this without your help? It was great to do that the day of prayer yesterday, wasn't it? Because with God's help, have a look at verse 29, it says, with your help, I can advance against the troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. Anything is possible. David loved God because of his strength, his deliverance, and finally, 
his security. He called him my refuge. The Lord is my rock, my fortress. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. Now in the verse of the Ikaj you will see the outline of the side of a castle. Um, it might be a prize for anybody who's guessed which castle it is. I don't think it's a Welsh castle, um, <coughs> even though there are plenty of them to keep the English out. Um, but um, obviously I quite enjoy visiting castles. Uh, I, I, like, I like the atmosphere of trying to mentally reconstruct a battle scene. You know, how would you try, if you were the invading army, try and breach the defences? Where are the weak points? Uh, if, you're, if you were defending it, how would you maintain them uh, against an aggressive army? Uh, but also, not only are they built to be secure, they're great works of architecture, aren't they? Now, of course, as time goes by and as weapons develop, as, uh, as David and his team come across the, uh, the, the most uh, powerful weapons you can find, um, what once would have been secure loses its sense of security. In the Second World War, the Germans didn't build nice, attractive castles like these to protect their U-boat fleet. They built these great, huge concrete bunkers, um, which they can't even get rid of today. It's a huge thing to, uh, to dispose of. Uh, they're impossible for British bombs to destroy them. But I guess today, <coughs> it probably wouldn't be too difficult. Camp Bastion, where, where, where Dave will be going... I guess, relies on its remoteness in the desert as a, as a means of uh, security. And for some Christians, they would prefer either to adopt the, the bunker mentality or the, sort of the desert mentality and withdraw from the world because, the, because evil and temptations of the world are just so strong. They just want to get away from it. Other Christians actually need physical protection. You know, the world is a dangerous place in many places. And the word refugee is a very common term in the 21st century still, as those in war zones across the world know. Now, it may be unlikely that in the UK we will need to take refuge from physical persecution in our lifetimes. So what do we need to take refuge from? What do we need security from that God can provide for us? Well, I think it's... Um, it's a twofold thing in many ways. It's safety from those who would wrong us, in whatever way that may be, and safety from ourselves in terms of how we respond to that wrongdoing towards us. Now, we all know what it's like to be wrong, don't we? It may be a family member who's wronged us. It may be a colleague at work. It may be a neighbour. It may even be a church member. And the danger when that happens is that instead of going to God and resting in his love and in his security, we respond in a way that takes us away from God. But instead of concentrating on God's beauty, on his goodness, our thoughts are consumed with how we can put right the way in which we've been wronged. And our hurt takes us away from our times of devotion with God when it should be drawing us to him been reading this um, book, uh, My Quiet Times, recently by a guy called Paul Tripp. Uh, it's basically a series of meditations on Psalm 27, which I would uh, recommend uh, to you. Uh, it takes a couple of verses each uh, day, and I think there's about 15 there altogether. It's a great time of, of meditation. Um, 
In part of it, he describes how in the early days of his ministry as a, as a young a pastor, a church member came up to him one evening and said, Paul, your preaching is killing us. Great encouragement to, to hear. I'm sure you may think that, but are too polite not to say it. Um, and how did he respond to that? Well, he ended up by trying as hard as he could in his preaching to impress that member of the congregation. And in the process, he completely lost his way because he was no longer preaching to, to build up the congregation spiritually, no longer preaching to honour God. He was preaching to please that, that man. And to take refuge in God is to rest in his love in his security, and to not fear man. Psalm 27 is a a beautiful psalm because it makes a statement that the Lord is the stronghold of my life. And then comes the question, of whom shall I be afraid? There's nobody I need to be afraid of if the Lord is the stronghold of my life. It talks about evildoers assaulting me, assailing me, eating up my flesh. Again, very vivid language. But what is his response to that? To dwell in the house of the Lord. Those familiar words which I'm sure some of you know. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And if we do that, it says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. To take refuge in the Lord is not to bunker down and wait for the bombs to stop. It's to stand high upon a rock and say, I'm not afraid because I'm insecure in the Lord's love for me. You can't take away God's love for me. I'm secure in that. And that is why as Christians we don't retreat from the world. We go out into the world. But it's as though we're wearing a bulletproof vest. Nothing can harm us. The bullets will rain down. But we're secure in God's love and focused on pleasing him. In 2013, we are trying to do all the things we were praying to do yesterday, to make Christ known. We can expect to be attacked in different ways and sometimes, sadly, from within. People will come under attack, but we don't need to panic. We don't need to to blame each other. We need to stand firm knowing that we are loved by the Lord. Our response should be the same as that psalmist who says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to say to God every day, as David says here, beginning of this this psalm, this verse for the year, maybe you can say that every day as you wake up, I love you, O Lord, my strength, my deliverer, my refuge. So a moment of quiet and... um, Just reflect on what it means and how that applies to your individual situation, the strength that you need from God at this time, how you're tempted to go to other sources, come to God and seek his strength and his deliverance and his security.
I love you, Lord God, my strength, my deliverer, my refuge. I I love you because I've called out to you in my distress, recognising my need, and you came down and you saved me. You sent your son to die for me, your son who overcame death, who rose again. I thank you that there is hope, that your love for me is unfailing, that it will never end, that nothing can separate me from your love. Lord, help me to trust in you every day. Help me to rely on your strength, not be tempted to seek the strength of others. And help me to find peace in the security that you offer, that you offer every one of us here. Help us to rest in you and find in you our refuge. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.